some of the most popular topics or I would call them tools for planning any motorcycle trip are things like prepping your bike. That's a huge one. Figuring out, well, first of all, the bike, what bike do you want to take? And then how are you going to equip it? What are you going to modify? What are you going to put on it? Route planning, riding gear, packing, budget. These are, these are all tools that will seriously affect your trip or considerations that will seriously affect your trip. But what if you didn't use these tools? What if you didn't use any of them? What if you just jumped on your bike without rebuilding it, without adding a bunch of farkles to it, without modifying anything, without learning roadside repair or how to fix your tire, without even planning your stops or even a a solid destination or a budget? Well, that would be a different kind of trip. It wouldn't be for everyone, mainly because of uncertainty. We humans don't do well with uncertainty. I think we all understand that. Perhaps it's in our DNA to fear the unknown to not know what will or what might happen to us sort of freaks us out. Which, if you think about it, is curious because isn't that the reason that most people want to travel is to discover new things, experiences, to be surprised. Yet we spend so much time trying to organize and plan our adventure so that we don't have these surprises. Today, we have Al Reed. Al is traveling on his motorcycle, his KLR 650. He's in Central America right now. Al doesn't use any of the tools, really, that I mentioned at the start here. He uses another one, I will call a tool, that governs everything that he does. It helps him deal with any problems he has. It really governs his entire trip. And it's not on that list. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Googletech filters. CyclePump.com. Uh, my name is Al Reed. Uh, I am from Snowwater Heli Ski and Big White Ski Resort in British Columbia. And I am currently in Nicaragua on an amazing adventure motorcycle trip. Welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you so much. You just said you're from a ski resort. How can you be from a ski resort? I thought you're from like a province or, you know, a state. Well, I think you can choose to be where you're from. And I'm a slave (laughs) to my hobbies all these years. So uh, I might as well cut out any commute and go right to the source. So this snow water place, this is this is really steeped in in you. It's uh, it's an amazing place that, quite frankly, has ruined my life. Between the food and the heli skiing and the the coworkers and the clients that come, it's just it's mind boggling how incredible this place is. 
So what exactly did you do for a living there? My background's always been hospitality. So I'm a, I'm a lodge manager and bartender at the Heli Ski Lodge. Hmm. What do you do as a lodge manager? Basically, it's a glorified title that means I'm also in charge of garbage, recycling, snow <laughs> services. <laughs> so they give you a title instead of a raise and then you feel important and you run around and do more things. Pretty much. It's just a way that when you're not heli skiing, it's their way of saying there's always stuff to do. Uh, so you're, you're into skiing, snowboarding, I think. Absolutely both. Right. Okay. So that's the thing with skiers and snowboarders. I, I know your type of people. <laughs> you're, you're easily had for something like that. So they say, we'll give you a job. We're going to pay you nothing. Matter of fact, maybe you'll pay us, but we'll let you use the hill and you're there. Oh, absolutely. Snow water is a bit of the exception. I do get paid well because it is a, a wealthy elite sport, but uh, I'm, I'm a sucker for great things. Well, I was kidding, of course, but I mean, yeah. it certainly is a thing. I mean, you, you know, people who are into that tend to be very, very passionate about it, which um, obviously you are. But now you're, you're on an adventure. Oh, by the way, you, all, you also mentioned you, you work on super yachts. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So basically, I'm a, a part of a delivery crew and deckhand. Uh, a good friend of mine is a professional captain. And whenever he needs an extra body, a.k.a. drinking buddy in port, uh, he'll give me a call. <laughs> And I'll fly anywhere in the world to where the yacht is, and then we'll move it. And how long have you been doing that for? Probably about uh, six years now. Has this been your life, your whole life? Have you always been uh, working at the, the, the hill and then buzzing off to do other things? Yeah, I've been a transient guy for my whole, uh, I don't want to say adulthood because I don't feel I've reached adulthood yet, but um, my whole working life has always been wherever there's an opportunity to go that's that's exciting uh i'll go there mm. uh, well how old are you now i am 52 52 so you're still young you still have plenty of years to grow up 52 going on 27 or 28 i think <laughs> well that's not bad al i was just talking with ted simon who is 92 years old and, and he still feels like he's young it's amazing hey you're you're as old as you want to be i think if you work at the slope then is, is that a year-round thing or is that just winter no, just winter. In in my whole life, I've never had a job that's lasted more than nine months. I've had the same job many times, but it's also, it's always been seasonal. Oh, all right. So that gives you some flexibility to do the things like run off to, to get onto the super yacht and help out there. Absolutely. Right. And, and what about a, a family? Do you have a family, wife and kids? No, no, I'm a part-time happiness guy. So, uh, that route never worked out for me and, um, I enjoy just asking myself whenever I can go somewhere. So you've always been a bit of an adventure seeker, obviously, with this, with this, with this style of life. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. What other things have you done? Um, as far as adventure stuff, I did a, uh, a race that started in London and ended in Mongolia. Uh, I've spent a year all through the Mediterranean on a catamaran. My buddies and I did an adventure tuk-tuk race across Peru for charity. Uh, driven across Canada, which I think was one of the greatest things I've ever done, to be honest. It was 49 days from Kelowna to Newfoundland and back. 49 days. That's the long route. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we weren't in a hurry. We just had a bank account. Right. And you're in a vehicle? Yeah, we were in a 1978 Volkswagen van. So even if we wanted to be in a hurry, it wasn't an option. <laughs> So you're in Nicaragua right now. You're on a motorcycle adventure. Now, now how long have you been riding for, first of all? 
Um, so I've been gone a year, but I've probably no, no, I mean riding a motorcycle. Oh, um, my whole life since I was 16. Oh, I see. So what kind of things have you done with your bike up until before this? So this is my second KLR. Um, eight years ago, I scheduled a midlife crisis ahead of time and I just wanted to see how far I could drive till I ran out of money. And I chose a Kawasaki because I'm not mechanical and these things are basically indestructible. So I, I just left Kelowna and I made it to Dominical, Costa Rica before I ran out of money. Then I sold the bike. Hmm. And that financed your trip back. Yeah, I flew home and uh, I had 4,000 US in my pockets and I've never felt wealthier, to be honest. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that will go a long way for sure. And that was the proceeds of selling your bike. Yeah. Oh, so this isn't the first time you've headed off on an adventure like that. Now that one was just to see how, how you, how, I guess how long it would take you to spend all your money. And you seem like a, you seem like a hap, an unusually, I, I would say an unusually happy guy. You tend to smile when things go wrong. You're upbeat, positive. Is that what your friends would say about you? Yeah, I think so. And you know, I choose to be happy, but also, um, I hate the word lucky, but, uh, I put myself in these situations where it's too easy to get frustrated. So you might as well just enjoy the moment. And when the moment gets frustrating, that's when you're about to have a good story. It's just hard to realize it in that moment. I love the way you say you choose to be happy clearly and, you know, making it obvious that it's a choice because that some people will look at that a little differently. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't want to dumb down there are people out there that are miserable and there's people out there whose problems I can't even begin to understand. And have you, have you always been a happy type of person? I think I have. Yeah. That's not something you had to learn, you know, growing up. No. And I think you have to go through some frustrations. Like for me, um, it's easy to get frustrated down here when you're crossing a border with a motorcycle and I have a limited amount of Spanish. But I look at it, it's, it's part of the process and it's fun using charades and hand signals and trying to get through the whole process of bureaucracy. Yeah. Do you do a lot of laughing and joking with people as you're dealing with them if you're, if you're not speaking their language? Oh, absolutely. It's, uh, if I can get both of us with a really good belly roll, then uh, that's a good day for me. You choose to be happy and I can't help but think of your lifestyle as well, being that you, you're not really tied down to anything in particular, the thing that I think most people complain about is being tied down to their nine to five, despite the fact that I think a lot of people, if not most people kind of like the benefits of that. And that's the whole reason they're there. But sometimes people get stuck in it for one reason or another. I mean, not everybody can, can go and do different jobs, have the ability, the opportunity, whatever the case is. But do you think that that, that lifestyle choice has something to do with how you feel about life? I think so, because I didn't really buy into the thing that, you know, when you're 18, you got to start thinking about what are you going to take in university? And then what, where are you going to spend the next 45 years of your life in the same job so you can retire with X amount of pension? And you got to buy a house when you're young, you know, which is probably true now, but... For me, it was just one of those things I'd never found a, a job or a career that I've sought after that I thought this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. More of we're here for a good time, not a long time. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, when your ticket's going to be punched, you don't know that date. No, so sure. it could be any day. Yeah. Well, when you head out on this adventure, you said one of the things you said, which, which kind of surprised me was that you're a little fed up with real life. So in the context of you being such a happy guy, how do you get fed up with real life? 
I think just the, I was looking at my bank account and thinking, you know, I, I don't want to be on holidays just two weeks a year. So, and that's to get a bigger bank account, you got to sacrifice your time off. And to me, your time off is one of the most important things I have. Even though I mean, your job's not that hard by the sounds of it. I don't mean physically or, or mentally difficult. I'm just saying that you don't find it that hard to go and do it. Um, no, it's, uh, I think that a career would be hard and going to an office nine to five every day and just looking at the weekend clock coming up would be difficult. Yeah. It's one of the great things about tourism, isn't it? Because you have that season, if it's a seasonal business, which much of most of tourism is, I think. But if it is, then you have that season where everything gets very busy and it's exciting. And we always found, because I was in tourism for many years, we always found that almost once you got into the rhythm, once the whole group got into the rhythm, all the guides and everything got into the rhythm, it was time to wind it down. And it was a disappointment, really. Well, and what I love about uh, seasonal or cyclical things is there's a start, there's a middle, and there's an end. So there's there's three celebrations right there. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. So with this one, you decided to, to head off. And um, I think what you said at one point was was you're searching, were you, were you searching for a paradise or your version of paradise that would hopefully include a, a sunset, a, a surf breaker, and a cheaper cost of living? Absolutely. So uh, I, I'm on a two-part journey. One is when I did this trip before, I did it in three months and I felt I rushed through everything. So this time I'm, I'm smelling the roses. I'm taking pictures of the roses. I'm videotaping the roses. I'm talking to the roses. And I really don't. I just I have two accounts. One is a dream real estate account. The other is a travel account. And I'm just trying to burn through the travel account as slowly as I can because being able to be on a motorcycle trip like this is amazing. And to do it a second time is just life changing. Oh, it's interesting that you learned from the first one. Why were you so rushed on the first one compared to this one? Um, I had to meet some people in Costa Rica and I also had a very limited bank account. Oh, I see. I see. So you've saved up a little more money now and you've kind of left yourself open-ended. Yeah, basically I'm treating my bank account like a tank of gas and uh, it's going to be a while until it till the red light goes on and tells me to go back to work. So, right, right. Have you had to do that at all yet? I haven't had to, but I got, not only did I get called to move the yacht, which made me a little bit of money and paid for my travel to Europe, but I also got the call from the Heli Ski Lodge to come back last January while I was in, or this January, sorry, while I was in Guatemala. So I parked the bike and went home for two months and topped up the bank account the real estate side of things that you were talking about there. So are you actually looking for a place to buy? Like, are you, are you thinking of like moving and someday, someday, if not soon, retiring? Absolutely. That would be the goal is I'm just looking for a, a cheaper, more beautiful version. And what makes me happy, as you mentioned, are sunsets and surf breaks. So I've just been trying to hit every surf break from Mexico to currently where I am now. Mm. Are you a surfer too? I'm, I wouldn't say... I'm an ex-surfer. I'm, I'm a guy that loves the lifestyle of surfing and I look forward to getting in the water a lot more now than I have in the last couple of years. Yeah. Is, is surfing not kind of like snowboarding? Absolutely. It is. I think that yeah. surfing is, it's such a unique thing. It's, it's really tough to describe. It's not a sport. It's not a religion. It's just a thing because you can never have the same experience twice because it's basically snowboarding, but the mountains moving on you. I like the idea of it. I've never tried surfing. I, the only surfing I've done is with canoes and kayaks. 
and which is a, a different experience, obviously, but it's a lot of fun. I mean, when you, when you catch the wave, uh, it's just, it's amazing. And of course, when you're in a boat, you get the whole trick is to try and keep it upright as long as you can. Exactly. It's also incredibly humbling. And what surfing is, uh, what it's given me the gift of more than anything is the gift of holding my breath when I'm caught in the washing machine for about 20 <laughs> seconds. Right. Wow. So as far as real estate search goes, has anything caught your eye so far? Uh, basically I just, I had a good look at El Salvador, but they've had a government change in the last couple of years, which has made it really safer. So that's priced me out already. And then right now I'm just dreaming. I just got into Nicaragua a week ago. So I just spent the last two days at a beach closest to me. And uh, I think I'm going to go head North and just slowly make my way down each place and look at for sale signs. And, and the secret is just to talk to people too. What are you asking them? Just, uh, it's, you always run into some expats, but you also run into some people and you'll talk to someone and they'll say, well, my neighbor's two doors down is selling and we'll go look at that place. Or, you know, what, what brought you to this place is always what I love asking people. Oh, I see. So you actually, you're ready to buy now then if the, if the opportunity presents itself. I am. Oh, I see. El Salvador, you said the, the, the governmental change priced you out. Why, why did it price you out? It just, I think the new president basically locked up all the gang members, which was a lot of them. And uh, there's a lot of construction and they're building roads to the beaches. So anytime you see that, I think that I'm too late. I want a gravel road that's going to be paved in 10, 15 years, not right, right now. So you can, you can gain with the, the real estate increase the, rather than pay for it. Yeah. And also I don't have a lot of money. So um, I'm dreaming big, but my my expectations are low. Mm. How far will you head south on this adventure? Nicaragua has always been in my crosshairs because I've always enjoyed my time here. So I'm, I'm having a really good look here. Um, with the bureaucracy, I'm only allowed here 30 days with my motorcycle. So I'll just have to leave, go into Costa Rica and come right back. But if I can't find what I'm looking here, then I think my next uh, goal in my mind is Ecuador. Now, Nicaragua, what was it that attracted you to, to Nicaragua in particular? I think that the people here are incredible and the people everywhere in Central America are incredible, to be honest. So if, if people out there listening, go check it out down here. Not only would the people appreciate the tourism, you will have the time of your life. That's that kind of beautiful, all these countries. How important is it for you to have Spanish in these areas? You can get by without it, but your life is a lot funner if you know some language for sure. And, and they just appreciate you trying. Right. Yeah. And you took some lessons, but did you know any Spanish before that? I knew a little bit just from traveling like directions and, you know, Al want food, Al hungry, <laughs> Al like cold beer. Right. <laughs> Enough to get me through a couple of days for sure. And now since going to school there taking a course, what can you do now? I understand a lot more than I can speak. So the difficulty is um, I can't really have an in-depth conversation with someone because I can't reply how I want to reply. So that's the difficulty. Mm -hmm. And at the border crossings, it, it would be very beneficial to have a, a better understanding of the language for sure. Is that just you that finds it that, or like, that learns faster for receiving than sending? I don't know if it's, uh, if it's me. I think people that are, that are good at music are good at languages. And, um, 
the only time I'm good at language is about seven beers in. And then I'm not really thinking as much about being embarrassed about the language. So I just, I try a little harder. So what's going to happen if you buy a place there? Are you going to just stay there? Will that be it? You know, just, you're going to move and, and you won't come back? Perhaps I've pretty much severed all financial ties to Canada, except for, um, coming back and things like that. But I, I sold my Harley Davidson that I had, uh, I don't own any real estate. I'm down to one set of skis, one snowboard and two duffel bags at my sister's house. But besides for seeing my family and my friends and my mom and dad, I could happily just wait here and let everyone come see me. Oh, I see. So you are, you actually are prepared. Oh, don't forget your Oldsmobile, by the way. Oh, it's unfortunately uh, RIP 1993 Oldsmobile. You were such a good machine, but uh, probably due to my error in maintenance, um, she's at the wrecker in Castlegar. Oh, but you've got your KLR and you love your KLR. You said it's your second KLR. It is. Yeah. What, what is it about the, the KLR that you seem, and you seem to revere this as a great motorcycle, but for you, for your purposes, what makes the KLR 650 a great travel motorcycle? I think A is the price. So mine was right around $5,000 and I bought it with 500 kilometers on it. So if things were to go crucial or critical right now and uh, say I had to leave it at the side of the road, for sure I'd miss it. But um, I couldn't afford a $10,000 KTM if you could find one or a $20,000 African twin. Uh, You know, I just think I wanted a bike that's like me and it's simple and uh, it's pretty easy to work on. There's no, there's no fancy electronics in me. So, and I think that over the course of the last 40 or 45 years, they've been around, there's been maybe two modifications to the engine. So not only can anyone work on them, but there's uh, there's parts littered from here to uh, Tierra del Fuego. Yeah, there's no doubt. I love the KLR 650. If there, if money were no object though, is there another bike that would suit your style better? I like the, when I see a guy on a fancier bike, I do like the look of that, but, um, I'd rather take that extra money and, uh, and travel for that much longer, to be honest. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. And, and like you said, the point you made about being able to walk away from it, you know, without it killing you, you're certainly not going to do that if you spent $25,000 on your bike. Exactly. You're going to, and if it breaks down in the middle of nowhere, you're probably going to have to ship it to a bigger city instead of me. Um, any, any breakdown I've had, which is few and far between, I've had to go no longer than 10 feet away for a guy to help me that knows what he's looking at. So what has your trip been like so far? You're, you went through Mexico and you think you spent some time in Mexico. What's it been like? It's been incredible. Like just to, to have a trip where there's no end and you can do whatever you want. And I never planned more than if I plan one day in advance, that is so unheard of for me. It's, it's amazing. So just if I'm going somewhere and I start talking to someone and they were telling me how exciting or awesome the place they were just at, that's where I'll go. So it's, I'm just really letting the adventure unfold. And it's, it's like the old book, choose your own adventure. So I'm never more than one page ahead of time. So when you left originally, you just had a rough idea. You wanted to end up in El Salvador at least and you bounce around. Yeah. My only plan when I left, uh, over a year ago was I, I bought, um, specific travel insurance for the United States. So I, I only had three weeks to get from Vancouver 
to Tijuana. That was my only time constraint. And do you have travel insurance for the rest? I do. I have uh, like six month Mexican or um, six month worldwide health insurance, but a lot of these countries, you don't need insurance for the motorcycle. Nicaragua, it's mandatory. So it was a whopping $12 for 30 days. <laughs> that's motorcycle insurance. No, that's, that's not collision. No. And, and again, that's, uh, it comes to the initial investment in the KLR. So it's only $5,000. And, and I don't say only that easily. It doesn't just fly out my month because $5,000 is $5,000. Sure. It's still a chunk of money. Yeah. Yeah. But it's funny, I haven't had to pull out the paperwork until yesterday. I got pulled over by the police and they were training the police. So we just had a good laugh while they went through all my paperwork for about 10 minutes on the side of the road. Did they pull you over as an exercise or were you doing something? Um, there's everywhere you go in these countries, there's military or police check stops. But generally, they, I, I get waved through. So I've probably been through maybe a total of about 80, to be honest. And this was the first one I actually got pulled over. So I was, I was looking forward to it. Mm. What, what's really taken you uh, on this trip? What surprised you? I think just the generosity of people and how much people's um, demeanors change when you say hello, good morning first, because they may not be expecting it from uh, a gringo. And then just to see them light up that smile when you, uh, when you talk to them. And do you end up making friends? Absolutely. Uh, especially at the hostels I'm at, not only with fellow travelers, but I seek out the restaurants that look shady. Um, nothing I like more than being in the middle of nowhere and seeing a group of trucks pulled over at a restaurant. Cause I know that's my kind of restaurant. I know it's going to be priced right. The food's going to be good. And the bike is an instant conversation starter. Are you spawning many other travelers uh, on the road? I am. Um, not as frequently as I like, but if I see any adventure bike anywhere, uh, I'm stopping or seeking them out. Or if I see there's a lot of people on um, like Overlander vans and that. And, and everyone's traveling with a, a YouTube link on their car or an Instagram link. So I'll just get a hold of them and said, you know, if you're interested in, chatting with a fellow traveler. Let's have a beer later. As far as these, these travelers, so you're not seeing many motorcycle travelers though? No. Um, and through Guatemala, it's funny because when you run into one, you're, you're pretty much guaranteed to run into that same person four or five times because there's only so many spots and, and only so many highways. Right. And what is your mode of travel? I mean, are you camping? Is it all hoteling or hosteling it? Cause you did mention hostel. Yeah, I would say I'm 75% hostels, 20% camping, and uh, a hotel is a last resort for me. And what are you doing for camping? I have um, an air mattress with me and I have a nice little tent and a hammock. So if, if I can't find what I'm looking for, then I will pull over and find a spot. But I just find the price difference between camping and a hostel it's not worth setting up my tent in the heat. So most of the camping that you're doing then is at a, a campground, not wild camping or not, you know, trying to seclude yourself. Yeah. The big thing, uh, well, the number one thing for me is motorcycle security. So if I can't find a place where I know the bike is right beside me or secure, then I won't stay there. All right. And you've had this already. You, you've been taking your bike inside and parking it like right inside buildings. Oh, it's amazing where I am right now in, in Leon, 
Guatemala, I have to, uh, before I come up the three set of stairs, I have to ask the person playing pool just to, uh, you know, excuse me while I drive by. Then I have to drive by eight restaurant tables and the bar. And, uh, they, yeah. and they let me park in the back of the restaurant. I saw that video that you did of that, of, of riding through. It looks ridiculous. It actually looks like you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, but nobody looks alarmed. Everybody just steps aside. And I think there was somebody at the door. They were sort of waving you through and off you go when you're riding out onto the street. It's so fun. And this is, uh, I haven't posted um, where I am now, but this is my second time back at this hostel. And the first time in, because I'm thinking how I want to film it. And if I have a, a GoPro on my helmet, so if I keep my helmet straight, so I'm all cool because there's lots of people. And the first thing I do is smoke a chair with my pannier. And I just go from, <laughs> from looking so cool to, to just looking like a knob. And, uh, you know, I wasn't the only one laughing. But I have the feeling that doesn't really bother. I mean, you take that well, though. Oh, you have to, you know, and uh, luckily I'm the first one laughing at myself. So uh, when everyone else joins in, I just think they're a little slower than me. <laughs> You know, you're, you're traveling. You said you're, you're, you know, obviously traveling by motorcycle, but you're really looking for a place to spend the, possibly spend the rest of your life, your paradise, which I think is is an awesome theme for a trip. But do you consider yourself a traveler, a motorcyclist, a motorcycle traveler, or just somebody who happens to be looking for some real estate and riding a motorcycle? I would say I'm first and foremost, a traveler because, um, Nothing makes me happier than being on my motorcycle. It's when I do my best thinking, just being able to look around and smell and see everything. It's just, that is my true happiness. So I'm actually, now that I'm, I'm in a place where I think I can afford some, I'm having second thoughts about, you know, is it going to make me happy to pull, to uh, pull the trigger on something? Or am I going to be happier just keep knocking country slowly off my list? Mm, yeah, because you give it all up, don't you? I mean, you, you become, well, anchored to one spot. You're no longer a traveler at that point. You've given it up. You've become a local. Yeah, and uh, I'm not a rich man by any means. So anything I have to buy has to be pretty much cash neutral or make me a small amount of money every month, which means I have to be there. So I would have to uh, really think hard if, uh, if I think it's the right place or I know it's the right place. Oh, so I see. So your plan is possibly to to rent something out or something that you're going to buy. Yeah. I, I, in a perfect world, I'd love a surf hotel or a surf hostel. And I, I certainly have some contacts back home that if I find paradise, they're more than willing to jump in with me, but Mm. partnerships are a tough thing sometimes. No, it's like marriage, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and the, the thing is, I always think with partnerships is that you're not only married to the partner, you're married to the partner's family. Yeah. And it's a, it's a great way to ruin a relationship if you're not on the same page right from the, from the get go. If the prenup's not, uh, not totally strong and usually they're not, then you might have trouble 10, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road. Exactly. Who knows? That's what I'm thinking. When you end up dealing with their, their family, you know, if anything happens to them or, or something or them for your, in your case, you know, it, uh, yeah, certainly can get quite complicated. Absolutely. But, but it, if you, if you settle down, if you, if you get a spot there and you settle down, will you not think of coming back to maybe work winters at the ski hill? Oh, that, uh, I'm incredibly fortunate that that is always an option for me. So there's nothing better than just flying back and, and having a great time and getting paid to go heli skiing and getting paid to drink some incredible wine that I can't afford and food prepared by Michelin chefs. I, 
I love getting spoiled and I love when I'm not getting a, a bill at the end of an experience like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then you go back home with uh, where your your cost of living is is relatively inexpensive. Exactly. It's it's so incredibly cheap and beautiful down here. I just and and there may be countries that are uh, that are equally as beautiful and maybe even slightly cheaper. So I don't really know because I'm not doing a ton of research. I I want the place just to to talk to me as I'm driving by it. Elizabeth was just saying that uh, she's noticing in the news now there's more articles about people doing exactly what you're doing, actively looking for cheaper places to to live. They're leaving, uh, in this in this case, it was this article today that she had mentioned, was people leaving Canada to go live in other countries because it's just so expensive. I mean, you, you know what the, the cost of living has, has been like everywhere, really, for that matter. Everything's going up. But I'm also hearing from, from travelers that I've spoke with even just recently in the last couple of months how things that were cheap before in some of these countries are creeping up very quickly. And in this case, it was accommodations. Many accommodations now that were inexpensive before are now at U.S. dollar prices. So what you're going to pay for the same sort of thing in the U.S., that's what they want there. And that's becoming more of a trend. And I, I wonder if you're not at the edge or, or at the at the end, rather, of of a point where you may be able to go somewhere and buy something cheap. Yeah, I think... Um well, once we all made it through COVID, uh, when you're stuck in your house, you get a lot of time in your own head. And a lot of people came up with the process that if I can work from anywhere, why am I working from Vancouver? Uh, yeah. Vancouver is incredibly beautiful, but it's miserable in the wintertime. And if you can be on a surf break that has just as fast of Wi-Fi, you know, I know what I'd pick. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you think the downside would be from living, like if you bought a place in Nicaragua, for instance? Uh, I think the downside is you gotta just be able to relax. Like if the power's out for two days, then you, you have to accept things that are out of your control. You know, um, there was a slight little earthquake where I was yesterday and it was not that earthquakes are funny, but I was in this restaurant with, uh, two elderly ladies that, and the whole, that own it and the place, the whole place shook and they ran outside and I wasn't, First off, it took a second for me to realize what was happening. And then before I even got up, they were already inside laughing because it was just a tremor. It wasn't actually something that was mm. that was going to take us down where we were. I'm not sure about the epicenter. And I guess that's the thing with, with standards. I mean, if you even just think of standards, the standards that you enjoyed in Canada for, for as far as for safety or for building or things like that, that's not going to be the same there necessarily. No, like down here, if uh, if there's an atmospheric river and our version of the Coquihalla gets wiped out, um, it's probably not going to get repaired anytime soon. Mm -hmm. And you'll just put up with that and, and take it in stride. I mean, you have yeah, to. Yeah, if you're stuck, you're stuck. And uh, if there's nothing you can do about it, then you shouldn't spend any energy thinking about it. going to take a little break. I have three things that I want to tell you about. I think you'll be interested in all three for sure. When we come back, you may be surprised with Al's preparation work on his KLR and how that affected him on this trip. Stay with us. Well, you remember I told you about the Hex Easy Can Accessory Manager? 
That's the accessory manager for motorcycles with CAN bus systems. Now they've added support for Ducati Desert X and very soon it's gonna be the Multistrata V4. Now, you know what it's like to wire an accessory, like auxiliary lights, for instance. You run wires to the batteries, then to a relay, and then the lights, and then up to a switch, and then you try and find an ignition wire with a 12-volt signal so that it will power your switch. That way, when you shut your ignition off, the lights won't stay on. But with the new CAN bus systems, that's often difficult or impossible to find because sometimes it doesn't exist. They don't run 12 volts up to the switch like that anymore. These are computers talking with computers. Enter the hex Easy can accessory manager. The point of this thing is you run one set of wires to the battery, which that alone eliminates so many problems. When you run multiple wires to your battery, you have problems with contacts, you have problems with tightening up your contacts, getting the contacts done up because there's only so much room there. And then future problems like breakdown between the contacts, especially because they're often different kinds of contacts, different kinds of metal, they corrode between one another, and that's where you get a bunch of issues. This eliminates that. You've just got the one set of wires. Then you wire accessories to the EasyCan module itself. And the wonderful thing about this is that it plugs into your computer through the onboard data reader port, and it uses your motorcycle controls that you already have that are from the factory to control your accessories. And that does so much for you. First of all, there's tons of flexibility with the different ways that you can configure it because you can configure it yourself. And then on top of that, you don't have to worry anymore about shutting the ignition off and having something left on because EasyCan shuts it all off for you. On top of that, if there was a short or a problem with the way you wired one of your accessories, the EasyCan automatically shuts that accessory off. It protects that circuit electronically. If you have a modern bike with an EasyCan system and you're going to put anything on the bike at all, Hex EasyCan Accessory Manager is what you will absolutely need. Now, Hex Innovate is a maker of that. Hex Innovate is also probably best known for the Hex GS911, and that's that BMW diagnostic tool that you can plug into any BMW motorcycle. It will tell you what error codes and what codes you have on there, things that are going on in your motorcycle that only a dealership would have been able to see before. This thing is absolutely a game changer for BMW riders. It takes that worry away of riding this modern bike with all this electronics out into the middle of nowhere, having it quit and having no clue where to start to get this thing going. That's the GS911, all by Hex Innovate. The website is hexinnovate.com. By the way, that link is on our website as well. If you ever have trouble remembering it, just go to our website, the bottom of the page. It'll be there, hexinnovate.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio, hexinnovate.com. Now, here are two mechanical buttons that you can add to your motorcycle in just minutes. It clamps on. It's, I think it's literally one screw that, that really holds it together. Easy to take off, move to another bike. That is the Atlas Throttle Lock. It holds your throttle in position so you can relax your hand, relax your wrist, your arm, your shoulder. It makes all the difference for riding. And I used to think that a throttle lock was for big, long, open stretches. You know, I, I picture long highways. And now I am amazed how often I use the throttle lock. The Atlas, though, is the best of the best. It is the premium throttle lock. There is nothing else like this. First of all, it's all metal design and, and it's beautiful. I mean, this thing is like craftsmanship of a fine Swiss watch is what I often say, or an Apple product. Two buttons on it, one for engage, one for disengage. You don't have to look at it. You know exactly what you're doing from the feel of this throttle lock. And it's one of those rare things that you buy for your motorcycle that looks great, but also feels like it's OEM. It feels like it came with the motorcycle. It works that good. AtlasThrottleLock.com is the website. The owners are riders just like you and I. AtlasThrottleLock.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. 
atlasthrottlelock.com. When the package arrives, it should only take you a few minutes to install, maybe as much half hour, hour, something like that. But it's one of the most satisfying changes you'll make to your motorcycle, in my opinion. A change that has little to do with looks. However, they do look very good. In fact, when you see a rider with these on your bike, you know they're serious riders just because you're seeing these. And likely they have skills. And this change will also help improve your skills. What I'm talking about here is IMS Products foot pegs. Designed and tested by experts in the field, all made from 17.4 cast certified stainless steel, all have undergone certified heat treating processes. IMS Products has a full line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs to suit your style, no matter your riding style, from the extra large ADV 1 and 2s to the core enduro series. Pegs that will give you the best connection between your foot and your boots, added leverage for better control of a large adventure bike, and easy access to your brake and your shifter pedal. A change that will allow you to better use the skills you already have and will be there for you when you're ready to take your skills to the next level. I absolutely love my IMS Products foot pegs that I have on my bike. I'm sure you're going to feel the same. IMSproducts.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. Your KLR that you're you're riding now, have you have you done much preparation? Like, did you just buy this thing and ride, or did you go through a whole prep sequence like most people do, where you're tearing it down and replacing this or replacing that? I know you did say you're not mechanical. Um, no, what I did is I bought it and then the next thing I wanted was some panniers. So I set up a Facebook marketplace alert and, uh, I got a great deal on some metal panniers and then I wanted a bracket. So I went to 17 thrift stores in the Okanagan area until I found a bike rack that would fit as a bike or as a bracket. You mean a bicycle rack? Yeah. Just to, uh, make the panniers a little stronger. So right. I've. I, I treat uh, anything I have to spend money on like a, like a sport. What's the, uh, the cheapest way I can accomplish the goal. Mm, good way of doing it rather than getting frustrated. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not a guy to buy something shiny and new on Amazon and then get it delivered. Um, the only thing I do regularly is I look at the oil and I'll get oil changes. And whenever I'm at a mechanics, I'll, um, I'll ask him to check on everything. So the, the KLR is, it's running good, but due to no, uh, no input from me mechanically. So you haven't really done that much to it? No, I, d- I don't even have tools with me. You, you don't have any tools with you? So Well, why, why would I have tools when I don't know how to use them? Mm, that's a very good point. Some people argue, I think Grant Johnson always says this from Horizons Unlimited. He says, if you have the tools, at least there'll be somebody, you'll run into somebody who can use them. But I guess if that's the case, I mean, likely you're going to take it to a shop where they're going to have tools. Yeah. And tools are unnecessary weight. Like when I say I have no tools, um, in Flores, Guatemala, I actually bought a screwdriver and I have a couple wrenches so I can tighten some nuts and bolts, but, uh, that's as far as I go. What about a flat tire? Um, well, I got one the other day when I was leaving El Salvador. And, uh, so I went to the dollar store and I bought a bicycle pump for three bucks. And then I, uh, went, to, it was actually this goes back to how incredible people are. So I figured out I could make it to a tire shop. And if not, I could just pull over and pump up the tire and repeat the process. So I saw a sign that said Goodyear and I went there and 
got past the two armed guards and they were trying to help me. And, and then a mechanic said he couldn't help me and he was giving me directions, but they were more than just go right. So I wasn't quite following. So I ended up following him to two different tire shops. He just, he stopped work, jumped on his motorbike, took me to a tire shop. He talked to them. He wasn't happy with what they were saying. So he took me to another tire shop and 15 minutes later and 12 bucks US, I was uh, ready to go on the road. They patched your tube and away you go. Yeah, I got a brand new tube. You got a new tube, I see. And, um, and then you're off again. Wow. You just mentioned that you dealt with the armed guards. And, and that makes me think about when you're saying, you know, moving to a, a country like that, that, ha- that has that sort of setup where they need those. Does, does that unnerve you at all? I mean, the thought of, not just the thought of visiting, because I think it's, it's easier to do that, but the thought of that being your home. Well, uh, it's, I think it's just a fact of life down here. And, um, it's, if you see people with a machete, you know, I don't think danger. I just think that's their leathermen. Like everyone has a machete down here. You actually look out of place if you're walking down the road in the middle of nowhere without a machete. Back to, to what I was saying about the bike there. I, I just wanted to, so you haven't done anything to the bike. You don't have any tools. How important, I already know the answer you're going to give me, but how important <laughs> do you think it is to do a lot of bike prep before you go on a trip like this? I think uh, it looks good for some people's YouTube videos to practice doing a tire change and things like that. But um, for me, the price and the knowledge of mechanics down here, why do I want to get involved in any way at all? So you don't worry about it. You, you You just ride and if something goes wrong, you get somebody to help you and you get it fixed and you don't sweat it. Yeah. If something goes wrong, you know, I'm prepared. I always have about a liter of water with me and, uh, there's always cold beer somewhere so I can wait out any storm. And, and do you do much off-road riding or dirt riding? I do. Yeah. As much as I can, I'm, I'm definitely sourcing out the, uh, the beat up roads. Oh, wow. So you're not, you're not shying away from that. You're not staying on well-traveled areas just in case you have a breakdown. No, I'm trying to hit every beach road there is. And, uh, I've just, I've just, it's been so much fun trying to see what's at the end of the road. And sometimes it's a small boat. You can put your bike on for a couple bucks or sometimes it's washed out and you got to backtrack for half an hour. Mm, talk about putting your bike on a boat. It's been so much fun. It's just, it's their ferry version. So, uh, there's lots of small little boats. They cost anywhere from five bucks to two bucks. And, and it might be just across a canal or it might be a 30 minute romantic bike boat date. Boat date? Yeah. Well, the, the KLR is not only my house, it's my wife, it's my girlfriend. It's, uh, you know, we have a good relationship. So, so she deserves, uh, some happiness every now and then. And if we can go 50 kilometers without her being on, then uh, I think that makes the Kawasaki happy. It's always surprising how inexpensive this stuff is. I mean, you're talking about the prices for getting a, a ferry ride and they're using, they're using outboards that use fuel and everything. I mean, you just, it seems kind of hard to believe, isn't it? It's mind boggling. Like when you look at the cost of living and what people actually make down here and then, you know, like the hostel I'm at, uh, I'd be surprised if anyone working here makes more than a dollar fifty an hour. Wow. Now, are they, are they living decently off that? That I don't know. I, I think they're living as happy as they know how to live. They're, uh, they're probably not in a house with air conditioning. Mm-hmm. 
but uh, they'll have a fan and uh, and they seem happy whenever I walk by because I, I search out the less desirable areas of a town as well. So I, I get to have a good look at the people and the culture. And I think that's what's making me continue the trip. When we're talking about bike breakdowns and the fact you're not concerned about it, you'll, you'll get someone to fix it. Does the, does the timeline make that more possible? In other words, if you were on a shorter, like let's say you're on a, a two month trip, would you then feel the need to prep more, take more tools, plan more to take care of your own breakdowns? Absolutely. And I think a lot of people are, when they have a timeline, then that's why they're rushed. So for me, you take away any issues of timeline. The only time I'll have a timeline is when I had to book a ferry ahead of time to go from La Paz to the mainland of Mexico. But mm-hmm. other than that, it's just, I really didn't enjoy having a timeline. So uh, I'm, I'm fortunate because I choose to not have a timeline. You mentioned that first trip that you did that, that um, you ran out of money, you sold your motorcycle on. You felt that you rushed that and then you didn't want to rush this one. So if you were to set up another trip right now and you're looking at, at going somewhere, would you take that into mind and say, okay, I'm, I'm only going to do the distance that I can do by really dragging it, taking my time and exploring? Is, is that how you would approach it now? Yeah, I think so. And uh, to each their own, like, you know, I've seen uh, trips online where someone's super happy to go from Alaska to uh, Ushuaia in a hundred days. And, and that's not my, uh, that's not my jam, but um, I think the faster you go, the more fuel you're going to spend. And for me, I just, I don't know where I'm going, not only in life, but mentally. So I just, I want to figure out how to get there slowly. What do you mean mentally? Well, I just, I'm at a mindset where, you know, I'm still a kid at heart and I'm able to, although I'm the oldest guy at the hostel, usually I'm just, I'm in a position where I can go wherever I want, whenever I want, and I'm not in a hurry to get there. What's it like being the oldest guy at the hostel? Well, I'm certainly not the most mature. (laughs) So you fit in that way. (laughs) Yeah. um, I think I can... uh, I can regulate my beers a little better than everyone else. And uh, usually I'll run into another motorcycle traveler and we'll have some beers and swap stories or, you know, um, I, I find that when the pub crawl starts at 10 o'clock, I don't need to go out on it. I'm happy where I am. Right. But, and, and do you have any trouble fitting in? I, I think that, um, I don't really look to fit in too. I'm so happy just doing my own thing. And, and I'm documenting this trip as much as I can without taking away from the adventure, which means that I'm spending lots of time editing and going through photos and videos. So I'm pretty easy. I'm pretty easy to occupy myself. Do you think it's any, any more difficult to travel uh, being older than when you're younger? Um, I don't think it's more difficult. It's just for me, I think I'm, I'm in a different situation because maybe people that are 40 and up, they're choosing a nice hotel instead of a a hostel where you're going to have a way better experience. And, uh, I'm just choosing the more frugal way of life right now. The hostel, you're going to have a better experience. That's what what you're saying. Yeah. Because you're running into 30 people that just came from all different directions. So there's your, there's your Google maps and there's your activities. So if you just sit down and talk to someone and find out where their adventure was. And, and it's just, it's such the greatest thing about being a traveler is having a beer and 
swapping stories with other travelers. And you don't find these young travelers you're meeting sort of shunning you or not interested in talking to you or maybe even looking at you and saying, what are you doing here? Yeah, I think once you take away the I don't care factor, then it, it really doesn't matter to me. Um, mm-hmm. I, I have a lot of people in my life that are friends in that and I love adding people. But if I spend a day and don't add anyone to the list, I'm OK with that as well. It's I think the difficult thing is I can be in a bar for a couple hours and not have to look at my phone. Why is that? (laughs) Oh, I just, I think it's a generational thing. Like, um, not to sound old, but, uh, a lot of people have notifications set up and in the middle of a conversation, if they see a ping on their phone, they have to be Pavlov's dog and look at it and they, they can't just continue the conversation, which I think is, it's incredibly sad when you go out for dinner and you see people on their phones. And, and you just said Pavlov's dog. It's just like that, isn't it? I, I mean, it's almost like, even. have you ever spoke with someone who, when they get the alert, they try to ignore it? It is like Pavlov's dog. It's like they're, they're starting to tense up, they glimpse down, they're dying to pick up that phone and see what the notification is. It's the greatest source of amusement I have. I, I think it's so funny because I'll have my phone upside down and I don't have any notifications on anyways, but it's just, I, I find it so funny that that's how you get your enjoyment out of life is uh, one ping at a time. <laughs> but as far as, as, as being older and traveling, I'm also wondering about the people that you meet. Do you feel that you're getting treated differently, good or bad because of your age? Uh, I think in a hostel, everyone's equal. Um, the hostel I'm at right now, everyone is so excited to go um, volcano boarding for 50 bucks us and i was like i can't imagine anything i want to do least right now volcano boarding yeah it's uh they'll take you up to a volcano and you get to toboggan down on the lava rocks and uh there's a you know chance you're gonna have a good time and there's a a chance you're gonna come home with a limp too but i just (laughs) i i avoid the heat i don't seek it out uh on black rocks and, and I get it. They're on, you know, it might be their first or second adventure of their life and they're down here for three weeks and they, they want to do, they want everything scheduled ahead of time for them. Mm, yeah. it's just a different point in life, really just a, a different, uh, you're at, you're at a different stage in, in life, but no. I, and what I was asking about that though, was, was other people though, forget about the hostels. What about the other people that you're meeting along the way? Is there a difference in the way they respond to you because of your age? Do you think? I think, um, regardless of age, it's just, it's amazing how many people pump up my tires, but just, they're so proud of what I'm doing and, and they think it's so brave. And, and to me, it's just, it's a usual way of life, even though I know deep down it's not to be able to do this. So just to, to run into people, um, you know, I met lots of people cause I was in Antigua taking Spanish lessons for two weeks and met some other adventure riders, met people from all around the world and, and we're all very similar when you go down to a traveler is a traveler, regardless of your age, regardless of your passport. So even the people you meet along the road who aren't travelers, they're not seeing you. They're not seeing your age first. They're not, they're not, that is not what they're seeing. They're seeing a traveler. Exactly. And, and when you run into people that, um, you know, although they may not speak uh, a Spanish that I understand or, uh, or English that I can really understand but they're, they're excited just to, uh, especially when I tell them that I've come from Canada on the bike, it just blows their mind. Mm-hmm. Is that you said brave there, that people think you're brave. Is there, 
is there a level of bravery that it takes to do what you're doing? And and don't forget, I, I'm, I think for this question, you really have to think back to the, the first time you've done it and then maybe sort of apply it through those trips. Is there a certain level of bravery required for this type of adventure? I don't think it's bravery. I think it's just, well, it's, it's maybe confronting your, your discomfort zone, you know? So once you get out of your comfort zone for the first time, then you realize that your comfort zone just moved and uh, maybe you should move with it and keep moving it. So it's, Mm -hmm. I think just a lot of people are there. They're maybe afraid just to, uh, of the unknown. That's a human thing, isn't it? I mean, you know, we, we do tend to be afraid of the unknown, afraid of change as well, which happens no matter what. Yeah, whether it's your job or a relationship or, or traveling, you know, they're, they're afraid of putting themselves out there and, and seeing what's there. What's your um, philosophy for life? Well, I, I try to look at uh, every day I woke up, I wake up, I've already won the lottery, so you might as well make the most of that. And for me, um, I have a tattoo on my arm that's, it's, uh, first it's letters at the top and it stands for Way of the Peaceful Warrior. And that was a book that resonated with me. And basically what I got out of it is when you're born, that's your terminal illness. You don't know when your ticket's going get to get punched, so you might as well enjoy every day. And then I have a globe and that's a reminder to keep traveling and meeting people and experiencing other cultures. And then the bottom of the, of the tattoo is 1971. And that's when I was born. I wasn't, I had no choice in being born. So that was the year. Hopefully when I die, that has nothing to do with me. But the most important tattoo is my little dash after the 1971 that's up to me. You get one opportunity to have a dash. So why not have an amazing dash? Wow. That's really good. Al, it was great to talk with you. Thank you very much. And I I hope you find your paradise. Me too, brother. Thank you so much for your time. It's been such a great chat. I really, really appreciated and enjoyed it. somewhere in Nicaragua as he's in search of his ultimate home. You can find out more about Al by checking the show notes. For starters, we've got some great photos. We've got links to his social media. His social media is called Tripping with Al. Should be fairly easy to find. If not, the link is in the the show notes, as I said. All on our website at AdventureRiderRadio.com. Hey, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, 
Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and you. Thank you very much for being a part of this. I hope you can take some of what you've learned today in today's episode and sort of apply some of it, the good parts, the parts you find useful to your life. Now, if you're not doing it already, we would love to have you consider supporting Adventure Rider Radio. It's built on a model of advertising and listener support. Only a small percentage of people who actually listen to this show support it. We would really appreciate it if you would become one of those if you're not doing it already. Drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com and click on support. Now that I'm here, we have another show that we do called Adventure Rider Radio Raw. It comes out once a month and it is out now. As a matter of fact, by the time you're hearing this, it will, it will be out. The July episode will be out. We had some great fun doing this one. Sam Manicom was traveling around in the U.S. while we were doing this recording as well. Anyway, lots of fun. You can find that anywhere you find podcasts. It's a separate subscription. You need to find that feed separately. Or again, just drop by the website, adventureriderradio.com. Now for this episode, don't forget, we've got show notes for this one. We've got show notes for every single episode that we do all at our website. There's links in there, photographs, sometimes videos, all kinds of things. Drop by the website, look at the show notes for this episode. Time to get it there and ride your bike now if you can. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you very much for listening and I will talk to you next week. This is Harold Cecil from Giant Loop and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 